Once again, good morning and welcome to St. Paul's. It's good to be together online this morning. Just where you are, let's pray. Open our ears, O Lord, to hear your word and to know your voice. Speak to our hearts and strengthen our wills that we may serve you today and always. Amen. We are into our fourth week of preaching the book of Nehemiah, looking at what it means to rebuild after disaster. The book of Nehemiah is a memoir of the time when the Israelite people returned to Jerusalem after exile, and they were attempting to rebuild their own lives after the disaster that had befallen them. Well, as we can testify ourselves from personal experience now, the road to recovery is never smooth. In the middle of the third wave of the pandemic, in the middle of an extended lockdown, it may feel like we are very far from where we want to be. And that's precisely why we've chosen the book of Nehemiah, because they too knew what it was like to be frustrated in their desire to get their way of life back. Last week, Tyler looked at what it meant for the Israelites and for us to build under intense opposition, building a life where you keep turning your heart to God over and over throughout the day, stitching heaven to earth in his phrase, and how by doing that, we can face any opposition and pressure. Well, last week, the narrative in Nehemiah was about external pressure and opposition, outsiders who didn't want the Israelites to continue building the wall. But this week, in Nehemiah 5, we see an internal danger. It's one that not only disrupts their work of rebuilding the walls, but threatens their whole identity. And as we seek to rebuild our own lives faithfully, it's a danger that we can learn from this morning. So let's dive in. The people of Israel returning from exile have been doing very good work, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Under Nehemiah's leadership, they've been working hard, standing up to bullies and trusting in God's protection. But the stresses and the strains of everyday life are beginning to wear deeply on them. The weather has been bad, and the fields aren't producing what they should. Famine is growing. Taxes to the king of Persia are relentless. And with the double work of farming and construction on the walls, it's getting harder and harder simply to put food on the table. So the people, desperate, do what they have to. With no banks or lending agencies to rely on, they turn to their wealthier neighbors, nobles and officials. These are fellow Jews that they are turning to who have also returned from exile. And they start borrowing money from them and mortgaging their land to them. And according to Levitical law, the law that their whole nation is built on, this is where things should have gotten better. Because those who had no resources were called to care for those who did, who didn't. This provision was built into their very laws in places like Leviticus 25. If any of your fellow Israelites become poor and are unable to support themselves among you, help them. Well, that's probably what the people had in mind in turning to their wealthier neighbors. But instead, these neighbors saw a chance to make a tidy profit. And so they themselves, they found themselves squeezed even further. 
as interest rates are hiked, as their lands are seized, and as even their children are forced into slavery. Their own neighbors, fellow Jews, their relatives treating them this way, using them to make a quick buck. This wasn't just business. This was betrayal. It was tearing their society apart and threatening everything that they were trying to build. So they protested loudly, and God heard their cry. Psalm 34 says, The poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. And over and over in the Bible, throughout the whole Bible, we see that our God is a God of compassion and a God who cares especially for the poor and the marginalized, over and over calling people to care for them. Most often, the way that God cares for them is not through a miraculous lottery win or a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Most often, it's through his own people caring for each other, loving God and loving neighbors. And so it was in this case. Nehemiah, the servant of the Lord, heard their cries. And although he himself was wealthy, although he no doubt was risking offending his compatriots, the political structure that supported him, his friends, he knew that if he did nothing, the entire project was going to be at risk. And not only the project, he knew that without addressing it, there was no point in rebuilding the temple, no point in rebuilding the walls, there was no point in anything they were doing. And so he called them to account. And he demanded that the wealthier neighbors do right by their poorer neighbors to give back their land and to stop charging interest and to stop selling them into slavery. And he did this because he knew that it, is, it takes more than a physical structure to make a people. It is more than a building. It is more than a wall. It takes unity. A unity built on a shared history and a shared understanding of who they were and where they had come from. The nobles weren't intentionally hurting their neighbors. At least, most likely not. They weren't cruel. They were just taking care of themselves. But in doing so, they had forgotten their own identity. The Israelite nation was formed as a people chosen by God, rescued out of slavery to him and belonging to him. All of them, rich and poor alike, had been slaves in Egypt. All of them had been freed to become the people of God, an everlasting freedom and an everlasting identity. And here, the nobles were selling their own people. A people who had been slaves were selling their own people back into slavery. It was a complete denial of everything God had done for them. Matthew's gospel tells a parable that Jesus gives in which a king forgives his servant's massive debt. And in turn, that servant goes and throws someone else in prison who owes him a much smaller debt. That's what's happening here. Having been freed from slavery in Egypt, having been freed from Persia to make their way home again, they turn and enslave their fellow Jews. It was devastating. And if Nehemiah had allowed it to continue, the walls may have been built, yes, 
but they would have been built at the expense of the poor. And the whole identity of the people of God, a people freed from slavery, known by their love of God and love of neighbor, would have been lost in the process. So Nehemiah called them to account, and he reminded them of who they were, not just a group of individuals, but a people belonging to God. And they listened, and their identity was restored, and the poor were delivered. So what does all of this have to do with us today? As we try to recover from the burdens that a year of pandemic has placed on us, as we try and figure out who we want to be as the church in a new world, what are the aspects of our identity that we need most to remember? I think there are three things we can draw on from this passage today. And the first is this. We too have a history of slavery. We too have been set free. The apostle Paul writes in his letter to the Romans that we have been sold as a slave to sin. And that's strange language to some, old-fashioned. But listen to him describing what it means, what he means by slavery, and see if it has ever fit your experience. I don't understand what I do. What I want to do, I don't do. And I hate what I do. I have the desire to do what's good, but I can't carry it out. For I don't do the good that I want to do, and the evil that I don't want to do, I keep on doing. This is the slavery to sin that Paul is talking about. And anyone who has ever snapped at their spouse or partner when they didn't mean to, or struggled with pornography or alcohol, or cheated on their taxes, or betrayed a friend, or any of the million other things that we do that we don't want to do, in other words, every single one of us knows what this feels like. But the good news is that the same God who rescued the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and taught them to be a free people is the same God who chose to go to the cross to free us from our slavery as well. And if we trust him, he takes that slave part of us and he puts it to death on the cross, setting us free to live brand new lives of righteousness and faith. And yes, we will continue to mess up. We still have, as a friend once put it, the muscle memories of a slave. But we have been forgiven. In a few minutes, we'll be given the opportunity to confess our sins once again, and to once again receive forgiveness, because this is the cycle of grace. This is what it means to learn to be a free people, being renewed over and over as we slowly learn how to behave and live into our freedom. So that's the first thing that we can take from the passage today. Like the Israelites, we are a people set free from our slavery by the grace of God. And the second thing we can draw from it is this. We are a people we're in it together. Like the Israelites in Nehemiah's day, and despite what the world tries to tell us, we are not a collection of individuals each trying to get ahead. We don't have to try and recover from this pandemic alone. We are a people with a shared history and a shared identity, what the Apostle Peter calls a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. 
We belong to each other and we belong to God. We are not alone. Whatever our socioeconomic status, whatever our bank accounts and day jobs, whatever our political views or our gender or our race, our primary identity does not rest in these, but in Jesus Christ. We are siblings in Christ, brothers and sisters, one family, who take care of each other across the board despite our differences. And that comes with both freedom and responsibility, the freedom of belonging, of knowing that we belong, and the responsibility to care for each other. Because as members of one body, when one member suffers, all suffer. And all of this is possible because we have been given everything. And that's the third point. It's easy, especially in our world where the headlines are constantly telling us to be afraid, to be worried, to be concerned. It's easy to forget that we have a God who takes care of us, that we don't need to be afraid because he provides for our needs. He hears us when we call out to him and he gives us everything to look out for, everything we need to look out for each other. I quoted Psalm 34 at the beginning, and here it is again. The poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Those who fear him lack nothing. As we trust God to provide our needs, we discover freedom. The freedom to pour ourselves out for others, not from a place of fear where we aren't sure if we will have enough, where we have to wait to see what's left over before we look to others' interests, but from a place of trust, knowing that God will more than match our generosity with his own. And so as we begin to rebuild our lives as the body of Christ, as we begin to think about how we want to live as the church in a post-pandemic world, let's be that abundance of God to each other to our brothers and sisters in the days ahead. As we trust that God will continue to meet our every need, let's behave as the people we are, a free people, a people who belong to each other, a people who belong to God and who have been given everything that we need. Thanks be to God. Amen.